Welcome to the Boho News Podcast. Here, we share the latest news, comments and opinion from across the boutique, lifestyle and luxury hotel sectors, along with thought-provoking interviews with industry leaders. My name's Eloise Hansen, editor at BHN and host of this week's episode. This time, I'm speaking with Alexander Robinson, Senior Manager of Industry Partners at STR, where we talk about central London occupancies, performances of hotel segments, rates and upcoming supply in the city. Alex, thank you so much for joining me um, in today's uh, podcast episode. Only a a short time since Recharge, since we actually saw each other in person. But this this particular podcast today um, was really spurred by my own experience of visiting London. So looking at central London's bounce back, which are the top and bottom performing neighbourhoods in terms of occupancy? Well, thank you very much for thinking of STR, first of all. And it was amazing time at Recharge. The team, International Hospitality Media, always does a great job. So it's just such a pleasure to be back in person. And in terms of occupancies across London, it probably won't come as a huge surprise to you that if you looked at the top performing sub-markets, top three, let's take, for example, over the last 12 months, what we would call surrounding to the north, south, and east, all of those markets were above 60% when you take it over the last 12 months. Mm -hmm. If you slide down the ladder to the other end of the spectrum, it would be Bloomsbury, Covent Garden, so you say the West End, Mm -hmm. Knightsbridge, Victoria, Marlebin and Mayfair, and those were all below 40%. So it's really a, an inverse of what you'd expect during normal trading times. But one takeaway that I think is really key, and you think about the importance for all of those submarkets that underperformed of international travelers, last year, arrivals into Heathrow finished at around a quarter of what they were in 2019. So you can just see the immediate impact if you have a luxury hotel in Knightsbridge that typically has a lot of Middle Eastern business, Far East Asian, Americans, they're simply, they're not coming, but they're also, as we all know, they're not being allowed to. So regulations and restrictions playing a huge part there. And the near-term picture is much more positive, but I'm sure we'll touch on that a bit later. So why do you think that certain markets are performing higher or lower than um, than expectations for example I know you you've just mentioned that there are some um, markets in London which relied on on international travel as as an example so what about those that are doing say particularly well at the moment or you know why do you think that this is so I think a few different factors you also have for those outer markets situated in close proximity to motorways. So within that, you would also have a lot of corporate workers, if you will, who are perhaps in more hands-on construction industries. And those Mm -hmm. are jobs that you simply can't do remote. Mm -hmm. If you're working for a services firm flying in from Singapore, you can effectively circumnavigate that meeting, not stay in central London where you would close to the client. The other dynamic that sees that situation evolve is the type of property. So in all of those sub-markets that I've listed, they do have economy properties, but by and large, it's to the upper end of the spectrum. And we've seen, just like we saw with service departments, like we discussed mm-hmm. at Recharge, you know, 
as well as service departments having a great deal of resilience, economy and mid-scale due to the flexibility of the price point being able to drive occupancy. Mm-hmm. If you're a key worker, you're probably going to stay at a more budget branded property than a full service property. And that was also tied into performance. So really, you know, obviously we touched on the importance of long haul travel. Most of those, typically if you're coming to London, you want to stay city center. Mm-hmm. Second to that, if you're in and around London on arterial routes, working in a more hands-on labor intensive industry, you have to do your job in person, you'd be staying there. And then thirdly as well, those destinations having a greater prevalence of economy and mid-scale properties, which we've seen in conjunction with service departments, albeit service departments at the higher end upscale is a a segment of our industry that's been more resilient during the pandemic. Are you able to provide um, further insights or, or, or an overview of performance of hotels per segment? You've touched on, um, you know, mid-scale, you've touched on economy, particularly, I'm also thinking the, the luxury hotels as well. What other data do you have in terms of performance per hotel segment? Absolutely. So we're fortunate with our sample globally to have quite a sizable range of properties in terms of your more traditional budget right the way up to your high-end luxury and that performance has been one that we've been monitoring closely throughout the pandemic really trying to understand what is it meant for travelers and i think what's really interesting if you broadly look at pricing first of all because we know that demand has been really absent Mm -hmm. frankly and we've been in a place where Occupancy has shown us which markets have come back quicker. But from a rate perspective, luxury hotels have actually been able to, in many cases, either maintain rate that was pre-pandemic levels or actually grow that. So if you look at Europe as a whole, luxury hotels actually were able to have a rate 20% greater than they were pre-pandemic. So I think that's a factor of a number of different inputs, but also that we've been staying at home for so long that revenge travel, as we so call it, people who have been fortunate enough to keep some of that disposable income, wanting to spend it on a memorable, unique experience. So yourselves with boutique hotels, just to jump across to Paris for a moment, we saw that hotels classed as boutique were actually among the top performers, even though Paris, much like London, really did suffer last year again, because that long haul international higher spending traveler hasn't been there. So while luxury hasn't been the winner in terms of occupancies, it has been a winner in terms of rate. But then if you go down to the other end of the spectrum and you wanted to look at occupancies, it's very clear to see if you wanted to take, say, the high point before Omicron, before we saw a slight disruption, December, mid-scale and economy hotels were around 60% occupancy occupied in London, whereas luxury hotels we're slightly lower than 40%. So you really can see just quite that difference that some of the sub-market dynamics will also play into that with most of the luxury properties forming in that core central location. But also it's very, very evident that economy and mid-scale properties have been amongst the more resilient. But I think the good news is, is that the story of rate has been broadly consistent. And if anything, luxury hotels, while occupancy has been more of a challenge, there have been many instances where they've been able to even yield rates slightly higher. What other trends do you think are supporting this data? You've already touched on um, 
the the revenge travel or, or people wanting to go big maybe having sat on you know disposable income for some time are you do you have any other thoughts as to what might be driving this data certainly restrictions has been the largest both catalyst and impediment for positive and negative themes throughout the pandemic and you can see if we go back to may 17th last year when government allowed hotels to open their doors again, it just absolutely skyrocketed, occupancy being the case there. But what was interesting, and you will have seen this, is that the regions, which is effectively everything but London, have absolutely flourished. So if you're down in Devon and Cornwall, or you're up in the Highlands, you've actually, during the summer months, been trading better than you even would in 2019. But then conversely, if you're in the city centre, Yes, there have been cases where people have taken advantage of London, but also if you think about concerns around COVID, mm. at that point last summer, maybe we'd been fortunate to have one dose of the vaccine. So you're going to feel a lot more secure in a cottage in Devon than you would even in a very nice hotel in London. The perception is that you'd still be mixing with many people. Now, I think the good news is as we move forward, many of us have had three doses, perhaps even more of the vaccine have had flu shots as well. I think people's concerns around their health by and large are much less than they were. And also the government's given us the opportunity to go out. Mm. So it's really a factor of both. But what's good news, I think, if we look to forward bookings for the year ahead, the regions in Devon and Cornwall, for example, are actually pacing ahead of last year already considering the banner year they had, but then so is London as well. So London granted coming from a lower base so I don't think it's a case where zero sum or one trend, we're not always going to do staycations mm -hmm. in nature and in the more tertiary destinations of the UK, but we're all not also never going to go back to the city again. So I think it's, it's definitely a, a trend that can fill both buckets, if you will. Mm -hmm. Do you have any projections on recovery? Are you seeing... Um, very strong upward trends and, and and what does this look like business travel is a big big question and we really broke the recovery down into a few different segments the first being leisure which we've seen that's really unequivocally led us out of the gates and unsurprisingly domestic leisure if you then take domestic leisure you could look to international leisure mm -hmm. which you know short haul we saw again very much linked to restrictions Portugal added to the green list, and then they slammed the doors shut a week later. It's on the amber list, amber plus, all the different permutations. How much am I going to pay for a PCR test? Is it 80 pounds? Is it 100? All of that uncertainty, keeping people penned up in that sense. But now I think we can assertively say, and it hasn't really changed for us broadly during the pandemic. So ever since our February edition of the forecast in 2020, just about mistimed with the start of COVID. So we did go back, we've broadly said, recovery in terms of 2023, end of 23, beginning of 2024. And that's not one that we can tar across all markets. If you're in the regions, for example, you're very much effectively already recovered. The only times that you were really down was when the government mandated that all hotels had to be closed. But if you're in London, and again, that really, really key piece of the jigsaw puzzle is, the international travelers, to your point, business travel, mm -hmm. you know, short haul business travel, domestic, we were gathered 
just across in Paris, a really sizable group, MIPIM, IHIF coming up, all of these conferences, mm -hmm. a really good number of people. But when is that long haul going to come back? And I think we've looked broadly to 2024, even beyond in some cases. But I think in the case of London, it's been quite consistent for us since the onset towards the end of 2023, beginnings of 2024. So let's start looking at, at the future then. And let's look at new hotel openings, probably um, one, of, one of the most exciting um, things that I get to report on here at Boutique Hotel News. So do you have any um, statistics on new hotel openings and room count from 2022 till around 2025? Well, one thing London has done in abundance ever since the Olympics and leading up to it is add new rooms at a mm -hmm. staggering rate and you keep the question was before the pandemic if we were doing this podcast before it would always be about supply supply mm -hmm. when is supply going to put a halt on occupancies and the good news is is that london has been steady and maintained growth all the while adding anywhere from three to five percent new supply year on year and even over the past 12 months just gone London added 7,300 rooms, which is hugely impressive when you think a market that's already got an approximate 150,000 rooms that we're tracking. So even in a pandemic uncertain market, the long-term trend for hospitality is overwhelmingly a positive one. And that's reflected by the appetite for developers and investors. If we look at what's under construction at this moment in time, not all due to open this year and the year following necessarily, but by and large, we're talking around 11,000 rooms. Mm -hmm. And when you put that in the context of existing stocks, so what percentage does that represent? You're talking about 7%, which is, is really quite staggering. You'd have to look mm -hmm. at a few other markets of that size of maturity to be able to sustain that continued growth. But London, it's really been a fantastic story leading up to the Olympics ever since then weathering the global financial crisis the rise of airbnb the sharing economy uncertainty in global geopolitical situations all the while being able to to look to add those rooms you've just touched on that london maturity and i'd like to ask whether you in fact how mature do you think the london market is um, and, and do you expect that this um, upcoming supply pipeline is going to um, impact demand in the future? It's a really good question and one that we've been trying to answer. I always enjoyed predictions at the beginning of each year, what you think the trends are going to be, what's going to come to fruition. And that has, has always been one. If we take those, say, 7,000 rooms what we forecasted for 2022, so of those, around 4,400 rooms to open across 40 hotels. And then into 2023, depending, it could be as many as three, 4,000 across 30 hotels. And that really gets you into the question is, in terms of a mature market, what segment are they falling in? And another really interesting development during the pandemic too, if you were a property that hadn't had a renovation in a while, then the timing was perfect mm. for you to deploy some of that CapEx and have a renovation. So the maturity of each segment, I think, is, is really interesting. You know you've got Premier Inn and Travelodge who are 
fantastic at continuing to open new properties, add new stock in the market. And another trend that we always talked about before COVID was selected service, limited service, mm -hmm. and all the efficiencies of that segment. But I think what we're really also seeing now, and I think the resilience in terms of pricing and particularly in non-urban destinations is luxury. You see so many different projects taking shape. You see the War Rooms, Rosewood property coming to the mm -hmm. fore. You also saw the potential for the Admiralty Arch. There's so much in terms of luxury development that's taking place. So while I think London is undoubtedly one of the most mature hospitality markets in the world, I think depending on what segment you're in and what you're able to, to do in terms of elevating your product during that time is a really key question. But if, if our indication to answer that question based on history, London's been able to weather it. And I certainly don't see any reason why. I think if London were to face challenges, it would be potential concerns around wider macroeconomic issues. You get into inflation, mm -hmm. the cost of living crisis that's emerging, those would be the issues to put a dampener on it. But I think if the economy, global economy remains healthy, then I think London will be in a good place to welcome those rooms in. Brilliant. Thank you so much for your insights and time today, Alex. Yeah, thank you very much. A pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Boho News podcast. If you'd like to keep up to date with industry news, head on over to boutiquehotelnews.com and subscribe to our weekly newsletter.